You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Um, Chuck, you had a bunch of travel last week, which I would like to hear about. But first, um, how are you? Did you have an okay, relaxing weekend after all that intense travel? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, I mean, I didn't get home until Saturday, like dinner time. Oh, that stinks. And uh, I was so beat that I uh, actually went to bed and didn't get up till Sunday morning. And then... Yeah, I, we had a nice afternoon yesterday. <laughs> I mean, after I'm teaching Sunday school now, um, my youngest uh, has, I've been a substitute in the past, which meant I did, you know, a lot, but now I have my own class and uh, it's my youngest. She really wanted me to to teach this year. And this is her last mm-hmm. year on Sunday school because she's in fifth grade and in sixth grade, they start going Wednesday evenings at a different place. So anyway, I've been doing this. But it means that, um, like, I don't get, <laughs> I don't, I don't get home until late. You know, like it used to be, you'd get home from church at like noon, and now it's like one, and it, uh. it just, yeah. By the time you get home and have did have lunch, and you know, it's like the days, the days like almost two thirds gone. But you know, yeah. it's a nice way to spend uh, a Sunday, no complaints. But when you've been gone, I mean, I've. I have not been home between family things and work travel. I have not been home a Saturday since uh, Labor Day. I've been home one yeah. Saturday since Labor Day. Yeah, that stinks. And I'm this—I'm the kind of guy who like winter's coming, <laughs> and winter so I do the. Uh, yeah, so I do like. I mean, in Minnesota, you have to kind of get ready for winter. Mm-hmm. So like Sunday afternoon, I was out uh, spray painting the snowblower of all things because it was kind of rusty. So I'm and changing the oil so in it. Oh, so and... that it looks nice. Uh, so, so it doesn't. Neighbors don't judge you for having a crappy looking <laughs> snowblower. Yeah, I was putting um, I was putting flames on the side. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, no, it it gets rusty, so you don't want it to rust out and like fall apart. So you. You you know you spray paint the parts that are rusty, you know. Okay. Yeah, you don't yeah. want you don't want it to go bad. So, how was your event in Yale? Uh, let's talk about that one first. Uh, well, you want to back up even more. Um, yeah, I guess you were in Springfield with our, our friend yeah. Steve Schultes. So, how did that go? I stayed at Steve's place. Um, it went fantastic. Um, he took me in the morning to uh, Holyoke which is uh, a city just north of Springfield. Steve, I, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he basically described it as like a nicer version of Springfield, um, which in some ways it was. I mean, it had some great parts of town. The great, the, the amazing thing about Holyoke is that there are these canals that run right through the middle of the city. Um, and An American not, Venice. Yeah, you know, I mean, not because it runs through a bunch of, you know, half occupied warehouses and kind of like abandoned areas. But when you like look at it, you just realize like this could be spectacular. And Holyoke had some amazing things going on. Some really, some really uh, interesting artist kind of things that they were working on 
and uh, had a great little strip in the downtown with a lot of activity. So I, I kind of liked it. And then we went back to Springfield. And I want to say it's been three years since I've been there. Um, might be two, but I think it's been three. A lot has changed in three years. Um, mm-hmm. They have a, and I don't know exactly what her job is, but she's like a, she's like a downtown coordinator. She's a coordinator of this, this section of, of Springfield. And I just found her to be like really delightful. All the innovative things that are kind of beneath other economic development people, you know, a lot of times economic development people just focus on like the big project they can do or the big business they can subsidize. She's out meeting with landlords and, and trying to negotiate leases and acquiring like specific properties and trying to get things it, it like uh, getting spaces like opened up that are just sitting vacant um, by mm-hmm. convincing the landlord to let people try something for a week. And I just, all the strategies she was using were like exactly the right ones. And I was really impressed and kind of excited. And in, you know, a three year snapshot, you can see a lot of great things happening in Springfield. This is a city really, you know, in some ways it belies the, I don't want to say the old new urbanist mindset, Mm -hmm. which was if you just get the urbanism, right? Like it'll work out. You know, if you, if you just get the interface with the street, right. And you get the street widths, right. And you get the neighborhoods, right. Like good things will happen. And Springfield just clearly shows that that's not true. There's something else there besides, you know, the layout design of the place. Mm -hmm. It's really cool because I think in Springfield, they're starting to get some of that, They're starting to get some of that momentum, starting to get some people who focus on these little things. Starting to stuff starting to break loose, and it's exciting because it's a place that has long been in decline, but is, um, you know, pulling itself out slowly and incrementally. The how the other thing, that, how's that street that you wrote a lot about previously, where um, tragically it's kind of funny, pedestrians have died. We had a meeting uh, about that street, and okay. um, I'll be publishing some stuff here in the uh, in the future. Because okay, we cool. have a, a strategy for the next couple steps uh, to move things along. It's a, it's a mess. I mean, it's a, it's a terribly designed street, really fast cars. The, the mindset, you know, people crossing all the time. As we were walking there, we, we were walking through the neighborhood and we came around the library from the, the, the back side. And as we cross over on the front side, right when the street came into view, here's four people walking across right in the middle, <laughs> like right yeah. in the spot. Um, and you know, as we stood there, this people all day, I mean, I saw a dozen people in the 15 minutes that we stood there walk Mm -hmm. across and, you know, it, uh, the city has all kinds of excuses why they can't make this change and they're all bogus. So we're just continuing to, to, you know, kind of push gently on that and, and hopefully something will break loose. There's definitely people there that want it to change. And mm-hmm. I think that's the positive thing. So next stop was New Haven to speak at Yale. How did that go? Had you ever it was been great. there before? No, I had not. And I was really impressed. I mean, wow. What like a storied kind of place. I mean, it was like a fairy tale kind of campus, really. Just, um, you know, in this really great town. Yeah. 
surrounded by some really exciting stuff. And it was, it was Friday night. So things were, or I'm sorry, it was Thursday night, but things were kind of hopping too when I got there. And then by the time I left, it was just like a great college kind of college kind of hangout stuff. I mean, there were people all over the place. It was really fun. Um, I spoke Mm -hmm. in this like amazingly old building in this really old classroom with this like thick wood table. It was, it was, it was everything that like your mind would imagine it was going to be like, and we had a nice turnout. Mm -hmm. There were people that drove in from, from quite a ways, uh, engineers and practitioners. And there was a, a a local elected official, lots of questions, a lot of conversation. It, It turned out really well. Um, we had a meetup afterwards and that was well attended too. The, the only bummer deal is I was trying to take the train, um, to New York then that night. Cause the next morning I was at NYU and, uh, I wound up not being able to drop my car off and had this car and I'm in New Haven. And what do I do with a car at 1030 at night in New Haven? Uh, I wound up driving to New York instead of taking the train. And it was just, I was so tired and it was late at night and I'm like stock up on Mountain Dew and drive. And, uh, I made it, um, but it wasn't fun. Uh, so next stop was NYU and you were speaking as part of a, uh, like an economics conference, a real estate conference. So, and focusing on commercial real estate. So the, Mm -hmm. the thing that I was part of was a panel and I was, I was moderating this panel. So my thing was, you know, I had to ask the questions and, um, boy, five, uh, high testosterone, like take no prisoners kind of, um, real estate guys. And they were, wait, you were moderating a panel of five people. Yeah. That's pretty large. I know and when you get more than three people in a panel, it just gets really hard. Um, right. But you know, uh, we had an hour, hour and a half or hour, 15 minutes, and it just flew by. These guys are really bright. And it was, it was interesting because they all have a, um, I'm going to say this in a friendly way. They all have like a myopic view of, of real estate. Um, I, mm-hmm. I try to get some questions about cities <laughs> and, you know, like, okay, uh, your place is imploding. Um, what do you think that does to your partner, the city? And they're like, yeah, we, we don't care. You know, like it's not our deal. Like I just, you know, here's the deal I'm working on. Yeah. I'm here to build bills. Yeah. Well, and these guys were mostly like investment people. So they're the ones who take investors money and then allocate it. Um, What was really clear was that uh, retail is changing dramatically. The guys on the inside, like no one understand this. If you can get in on like one of the top 50 markets in the country, you have a chance to stick with the old model. Um, but if you don't do that and then the old model kind of modified, you know, it, take the, take the mall and maybe put like a yoga studio in it or some, uh, you know, destination kind of things to draw people in. If you, if you don't do that, you're pretty much, you know, either going to lose your mall or the mall's going to, um, you know, be converted into something much lower on the food chain. And mm-hmm. one of the guys there was, he described himself as a vulture. He's like, when these places fail, I go in and buy them really, really cheap. And then we reprogram them and we do things that work financially. Um, it was, it was fascinating because there were, I mean, just to give you a flavor, there were F-bombs flying. Um, oh, wow. Not from me, from these guys, you know, like yeah. I don't give a bleep about, 
you know, Akron, Ohio, that kind of thing. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> uh, like, seriously, and it, it, you, you got a real sense of how short-term portfolio thinking uh, real estate investment is, particularly commercial real estate. These are properties mm -hmm. that, you know, every three to five years, the financing rolls over on. Just like if you had a adjustable rate mortgage, commercial real estate is financed with all adjustable rate mortgages. Like there is no long-term financing for them. And so every three to five years, you have this reckoning that happens. And if you don't have the rents, if you don't have people paying rent, the prop, your, your property value goes way, way down. And if your property value is way, way down, but you still owe a lot, you got to come up with cash or you're out of business. And so there's this whole art of like basically signing kind of con leases to make your rents look higher, um, jockeying around the numbers to make your rents look higher. There's a whole like... It's, it's 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 the Ponzi scheme like multiplied uh, in the commercial mm -hmm. real estate side, and these guys were all wheeler dealers in it, and it was fascinating to kind of probe that in front of a bunch of students who uh, probably you know took took the lesson away from that that boy I really want to be this high testosterone money flinger <laughs> as well. And I know that there was also some member meetups as part of these events, maybe uh, one each in New Haven and New York. Is that right. true? Yeah. How did those go? It was a lot of some fun. cool people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the one in New Haven. The, the one in New York went really well, too. I mean, some old friends. Of course, Ian Rasmussen on our board helped set that one up. Uh, oh, awesome. Andrew, yeah. Andrew Price was there. Who sat? I sat next to him the whole time. I just love, I just love Andrew Price. I mean, there isn't a nicer guy you Me will ever too. meet. He's, he's just a beautiful guy. And then uh, Ian Ross, who uh, just happened to be in town from California, was there. And uh, he came, and, and I, th I think it was his girlfriend he brought. I don't want to assume. I, th I think, though, <laughs> and we had just a delightful conversation. Uh, she had never heard of Strong Towns, and so I got to kind of spend an hour talking to her about what we were doing, and then everybody else was kind of there to pitch in, too. And, uh, boy, very strong group in New York. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. And this week, thankfully, is event-free for you, or at least travel-free. I'm yeah. sure you have a lot of events on your calendar. Um, yeah. The girls are off from school Thursday and Friday. So I, I asked for this week as like a, a halfway respite between the, like the Labor Day rush and then, you know, things start to – this is the travel season, so things start to fade off in December. And I said, could I have this week with nothing because um, – my girls will be off Thursday, Friday, and we'll probably figure out something fun to do. Nice. Yeah. Well, if you want to chat with Chuck this week, he is hosting a Slack chat on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Um, and it'll just be like an open conversation. Um, I think, you know, we can talk about some of the articles you've recently written and also uh, the article you wrote today, which uh, we already kind of discussed on the podcast, but um, this... Uh, honor of having Chuck selected as uh, one of Planet Edison's top 100 most influential urbanists. So we can talk about that and kind of what that means for the Strong Towns movement too. So join us on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central on Slack. Fantastic. Um, since we already talked about your article for today a bit on this podcast, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about two articles that I posted over the last couple of weeks. Um, that are some cool success stories from our members that I just wanted to make a point of sharing. 
Um, one of them comes from Portland, Maine. Um, we've got some strong towns folks who have been advocating to, they've got a really obnoxious inner city highway that cuts off their neighborhood from the downtown and they're advocating to try and close some of the on-ramps to this highway and just generally like separate it from the neighborhood a little bit, um, make it safer to walk and bike. So that was an interesting story to hear from them. I guess I can't really call it a success story yet because they haven't succeeded in getting those on-ramps closed. Um, they've also got some one-way streets that they want turned back into two ways, but they're pushing for that. Uh, they got a good group of local, local advocates who are working with them. And the other well, one, Portland, Portland yeah. Maine is a fantastic place. Yeah. And uh, I was poking I've, around on Google maps. It looks so oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's great. I've been out there, I think three times now uh, in the capacity of, of strong towns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, boy, uh, some great conversations going on there. That, that is, it's actually one of those cities where a few years ago when we were looking at potentially moving, um, it was on my short list of places that I wanted to live. Uh, I, I think it's just a great place. And yeah, the, the, the next like obvious thing that needs to happen there is those ramps need to go away and the highway needs to be calmed and they need to really embrace the great stuff that's going on in the downtown. It's funny because it's stuff that here in the Midwest, um, like we would look at getting to where Portland, Maine is as great success. You know, like we would be thrilled to be where they're at right now today, but where they're at, you can look and say, okay, here's the next increment that would make this place better. And, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to see that. Now, let me ask you this. The second one I think you're going to talk about is the iron range, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I read that one. Uh, that was super cool. You know, the I triple RB, which is now the I triple R used to be the iron range, Resources and Rehabilitation Board. They lost the board, and I'm really not sure why, but we'll just go with yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know right? either, but yeah. Um, we did an engagement up there last in, in 2016 where we spent uh, a lot of time, you know, kind of peppering the place to get ready, went up there for a week and gave a lot of talks, and then had some follow-up with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some cool stuff going on, huh? Yeah, they they started this little grant program um where they're offering several i mean i guess they're not they're not tiny grants they said they're all under fifty thousand dollars grants um to fund different sorts of placemaking projects um in several different towns on the iron range um and i think the the most exciting and the the most complete one so far is this new pocket park in chisholm am i pronouncing that right yeah it's in chisholm yeah chisholm minnesota uh which they just um, filled in a, kind of this empty lot between some buildings in their downtown with seating and um, flowers and lights and hosted some events there. Um, so that they used grant money to do that. And there are Love several it. other um, small scale like lighting, streetscaping, um, signage type of projects that have been funded by this. So that was really exciting. And they definitely said it was inspired by Strong Town's visit. Well, let me give you like a tiny bit of backdrop here too, because mm-hmm. the IRRB, back when I was doing engineering work, so late 90s, um, and then as I was doing some planning work, early 2000s, I, I can say this, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to disparage anyone, but basically the IRRB, if you had a bad project um, where you needed like lots of money 
and you could get almost there, but not quite, the IRRRB would find a way to get you the rest of the money. They were like the gap fillers for every bad infrastructure project out there. Um, you can go to all these range towns, which are just beautiful. The Iron Range is it, just beautiful cities, just mm-hmm. beautiful cities with beautiful cores. And they've long been in decline. Well, you know, on the outskirts of town, you have a mile of pipe and uh, it'll have a Walmart and a McDonald's at the end of it, you know. And you just look at the way because uh, w- the way the IRRRB was funded was they were getting money from mining operations. And the idea was we have this mining tax and then that money gets recirculated into helping these mining communities become more diverse economically, more resilient. Mm-hmm. And from my eyes, just sitting back and looking at it, I'm like, every investment you're making is doing the opposite. You're actually making these cities weaker, more fragile, more dependent, and, and it's going in the wrong direction. This is a hard, hard ship to turn mm-hmm. because not only did you have all the cities in line asking for this money, um, you had all the contractors, all the, I mean, there's a, a lot of like deep, it's like Minnesota's version of like the New York boss kind of mentality, mm-hmm. you know, which is like a, a tamer version than New York, um, maybe a more polite version, you know, F- fewer smoke filled rooms and more, um, you know, glad handing perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the culture there, I mean, you have a lot of people there who really wanted to do good stuff, but it was hard to break out of, I think, the political paradigm that they were in. This is an example. I I think the Iron Range project was really helpful in opening up people's eyes mm-hmm. on the ground and shining a light on some true success stories. But if we can change uh, the priorities, be, be one of the groups kind of nudging the priorities of the IRRRB mm-hmm. so they're not looking to do gap financing on the big mega project, but instead doing little grants like this. That is going to have more payoff than anything else that we that we could have done last year in Minnesota. It's just, I'm really proud of this project. Uh, I'd like to welcome and thank the newest members of Strong Towns who joined us last week. And it's a bit of a list, so bear with me. Uh, thank you to Joel Dixon of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Miriam Frausto of Tustin, California, Matthew Keetle of Bethesda, Maryland, Brenda Landis of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Cindy Madigan of Bellingham, Washington, Alan McMillan of Pensacola, Florida, Brad O'Donnell of Utica, Michigan, uh, Brandon Shaw of Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, Michael Silliman of Washington, D.C., Paul Steinhauser of Birchwood, Minnesota, and Joey Stewart of Calgary, Alberta. Thank you guys for your support of Strong Towns, and yeah, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Chuck, what have you been reading or listening to lately? Have you had any time for that? Yeah, you know what? I just... um... I just finished that that book, The Debt, The First 5,000 Years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a Um, hefty book. That's impressive that you finished it that fast. Oh, yeah. It was so good. I mean, I... I, Ugh. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, changed changed my mind about a lot of things. And I I realized at the end, because he had a, he had a, like a conclusion and like, then like an epilogue Mm -hmm. and then like an afterword. (laughs) And it wasn't till the like afterward, the very last part, that he started talking about the difference between uh, studying this as an economist and studying this as an anthropologist. And, and I wish he? that I had got 
or is he both? He's an anthropologist. Okay. Anthropologist, which is, I wish I had gotten that nuance like right at the very beginning. Maybe he mentioned it and it just didn't ring with me, but I don't think so. I think he didn't mention it till the end. And, you know, when you approach these things as an economist, you start with, uh, you know, math equations and logic and, and, you know, there's a certain, um, basically, like he said, you know, you, you look at debt as the history of coinage, because that's like what you can discover. You see coins and then you explain what the coins are and then you go forward. And we certainly have uncovered coins. But the anthropologist can actually venture like a really educated sense and, and a lot of inference on what came before that and what those relationships were mm. and how they uh, interacted with each other. And I think that was what the really powerful part of this book was, is it, it diverged from the classic economics and actually got into human behavior and how humans act and how debts actually accrue and accumulate. It, it was... It was utterly fascinating, and um, I'm really going to spend some time thinking about it now because it, it was a great book. Can we expect maybe ideas or quotes from there to be incorporated in future articles written by you? I'm, I'm quite positive, yeah. I'm quite positive Seems that. like one of those types of books. I'm start, I just started um, Who Gets What and Why. Hmm. Um, I, I, just, I, I can't remember how I came across it, but... Um, uh, someone recommended it to me and I thought, okay, this looks really interesting too. So I just started that one and uh, I'll let you know next week how it goes. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for today. Um, but we will hope to have a podcast for you guys on Thursday. Um, still working on the schedule, but um, we should we should have that rolling. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.